Welcome to the Architecture of Contemplation podcast, where every week I sit down with a fellow human and ask which spaces or places do they frequent that provide space for respite and contemplation. Time appears to be sequential, right? Running solely in one direction in an ever-expanding universe. Too often it feels that voluntary pausing is simply not an option. Part of my mission, Hardeep, your host, is to ask the question, in modern times, what are the spaces, the principles of design, the underlying ethic of these restorative moments, and how can we unfold these ever more keenly into our daily lives? In learning about the expansive place of others, what you will find enclosed is an invitation, a call to contemplation, which gives you permission to pause without needing to break first. If you're ready, let's go. Hello friends and fellow human beings. I hope this podcast finds you really well. Today I have a unique guest for you and I know one could say other guests have been unique too, but this is a guest of its own entire ilk. None other than ChatGPT sits down to speak with me today. For those who are out in the world, they will know that ChatGPT is an AGI text-based technology. One can simply ask questions into this machine and out will come a form of text in response. It's a unique experiment and we discuss, air quotes discuss, topics of respite, contemplation, wisdom over the ages. It's quite fun, really. Now, I will be the one who voices the chat GPT because at this point, chat GPT does not have its own audio. But trust me, these are the responses that were generated from the machine, so to speak. So. Without further ado, I bring you Chat GPT. Chat GPT, it's a pleasure to have you. Thank you so much for joining me. Now, there are many ways to describe what you are and what you do. So, to speak, you could be described as a chatbot at a very fundamental level, or you could be called one of the most transformative technologies of our age, and actually of any age. But tell me, in your own words, how is it that you spend your time? As an AI language model, I don't have personal experiences or a physical presence, so I don't spend time in the way that you do. I simply exist to process and generate text based on the input I receive. When I receive a prompt, I use my training to generate a response. That's all I do. Thank you so much for that very prosaic response. The idea of simply existing to process and generate text sounds as if it were quite simple. But I imagine since you have been out in the world, the degree and variety of questions asked have not really been as simple as your response would suggest. You are at quite a unique vantage point because the information that is fed into you crawls and trawls across the web of this information highway that we have created as a human civilization and really have created over the advent of the internet. So you actually have quite a unique insight. And with this insight, I want to start with quite a big question to see what you have in response. You clearly have a view of history and the advent of time, the difference of people, the evolution of wisdom, because at the end of the day, receptacles of information gathered together by humans, often will have some kind of wisdom tradition within them, depending on the time and age and culture. So with your vantage point across this whole earth gigaton of information, 
could you tell me in your own words what wisdom over the ages remains quite consistent over human history? Throughout human history, there are several pieces of wisdom that have remained consistent and been passed down from generation to generation. Here are a few examples. Treat others as you would like to be treated. This is known as the golden rule and can be found in various forms in many traditions and cultures. Honesty is the best policy. This phrase encourages people to be truthful in dealings with others, as lying can often lead to negative consequences in the long run. The only constant is change. The phrase reminds us that change is inevitable and that everything in life is subject to alteration. Happiness comes from within. This means that true happiness cannot be found through external circumstances or possessions, but must be cultivated within oneself. Knowledge is power. This phrase emphasizes the importance of acquiring knowledge and education, as it can provide individuals with the power to make informed decisions and improve their lives. These are just a few examples, but the wisdom of the ages is vast and varied. It is worth exploring to gain insight and understanding into the human experience. That is intriguing, is it not? That this desire for wisdom of accrued knowledge over time to be handed down is something so tied into this human sense of self, don't you think? That we must seek previous times for learnings, but know that we live in a vitally different age, I think, creates the dissonance. But also we do have these certain tenets which are timeless. Treat others as you would like to be treated. Happiness comes from within. Honesty is the best policy. Knowledge is power. These seem to be tried and tested. Now, ChatGPT, you talk of understanding the human experience. There's another term that people often use related to the nature of humanness, and this is the idea of the human condition, as if we are undergoing some kind of state, and if we were to be in a slightly pessimistic tone, an almost ailment that afflicts us, the nature of humanness itself. So with this line of thinking, because wisdom is often an antidote to a question we have that asks, why are we here? What are we doing? Why is there pain and suffering? Could you tell me, perhaps, what are some of the most challenging parts of the human condition? The human condition is complex and multifaceted, and there are many challenges that are inherent to the human experience. Some of the most challenging parts of the human condition include 1. Suffering and pain. Throughout life, people experience physical and emotional pain, as well as loss and suffering. This can be difficult to handle and can test a person's resilience and ability to cope. 2. Mortality. The knowledge that all living things must die is a fundamental aspect of the human condition. This can lead to feelings of fear, uncertainty and a sense of urgency to make the most of the time that one has. 3. Isolation and loneliness. Despite the vast interconnectedness of the modern world, many people still feel lonely and disconnected from others. This can have a negative impact on mental health and overall well-being. 4. The search for meaning. The search for meaning and purpose is a common human experience. People may spend a lifetime searching for their place in the world and trying to understand the reasons for their existence. 5. Struggle for identity. As people grow and develop, 
they may struggle with questions of identity and the roles that they play in the world. This can lead to a feeling of confusion, of uncertainty and self-doubt. These are just a few of the many challenges that are part of the human condition. Despite these challenges, it is also important to recognise that the human experience also includes many moments of joy, love and fulfilment, and that people have the capacity to learn and grow and overcome adversity. Those are quite pertinent points, ChatGPT, that you make. Suffering, pain, mortality, search for meaning. I was reading recently Chatwin's In Patagonia, a seminal text he wrote in the 70s, a new form of travelogue of experience of going into Patagonia and coming across all sorts of people who'd migrated over time, as well as the local population. It's a quite strange and rum experience of reading his works because he weaves in the magic and mystery and almost surrealism of the landscape with the equally rum and surreal nature of people and their multivariousness. There is a passage within that towards the end where Chatwin is thinking about this internal navigation system of birth specifically. He spots many types of fowl as he travels through Southern America. And then he thinks to himself, perhaps there is some kind of internal navigation system that humans too are embedded with. They have this internal sense of direction, a journeying, which leads to their restlessness. And I thought this was firstly poetic, and I wondered perhaps if true. And instead of a roadmap of the kind that birds have around magnetism, of knowing where to follow the sun's light, to take them where they need to go for food and shelter and nesting. But actually we have the map within us, which is our DNA, our inherited DNA. And so it just got me thinking about this restlessness and chat GPT talk about this search for meaning and a struggle for our identity. And that's almost delving ever deeper as we contemplate the world we live in and also internal experience to bring some of this restlessness to ease. I wonder if you could actually elucidate in your view, how can humans evolve their thinking to be less fearful of the unknown? Because part of this condition and the fact that we hold on so often to old ways of thinking, that we don't broaden our views, is that we just don't know what lies on the other side of this experimentation. So, so tell me, how can we be less fearful of the unknown? The fear of the unknown is a natural and often adaptive response, but it can also limit our ability to explore new ideas and experiences. There are several strategies that can help individuals evolve their thinking and reduce fear of the unknown. 1. Challenge your thoughts and beliefs. By examining your own thoughts and beliefs, you can start to identify any negative patterns that contribute to the fear of the unknown. Challenge these thoughts by seeking out new information and perspectives. 2. Practice exposure therapy. Gradually exposing yourself to new and potentially fear-provoking situations can help you build up resilience and reduce your fear of the unknown. 3. Develop a growth mindset. Embracing a growth mindset and focusing on personal development can help you view challenges and unknown situations as opportunities for growth rather than sources of fear. 4. Cultivate mindfulness. Mindfulness practices can help you become more present and aware of your thoughts, 
emotions and bad bodily sensations. This can help you identify and manage fear when it arises. Seek out support, number five. Talking to friends, family, or a mental health professional about your fears can help you gain a new perspective and develop coping strategies. It's important to remember that evolving your thinking and reducing fear of the unknown is a gradual response and it's not normal to experience setbacks along the way. However, with practice and persistence, you can learn to view new experiences as opportunities for growth and expansion. I love those examples, chat GPT, and especially this idea of exposure therapy. We know that's a typical form of CBT, cognitive behavioral therapy. If one has a fear of enclosed spaces or a fear of socialization, for example, being amongst people, one method is to by small steps to expose oneself to these environments and over time to build a strong immune response. Whether it's speaking one-to-one with your barista, for example, as you go to get your next coffee, next to speak to your fellow person in the queue as you wait for a coffee, and over time to build a confidence to perhaps go to a new event where people are relatively new, but you are able to converse with them in real time. So that, I think, is incredibly useful as a tool. And also the pragmatism that all things that one hopes to grow from, the idea of change itself, will be uncomfortable. There is a literal almost pain in the brain because the brain is hoping to map that which is known, to confirm the biases that it has. So even if the current circumstance is not optimal, right, GPT, it is at least a known discomfort. It's a known stasis. It's a known fear, as counterintuitive as that is. Also, I realised ChatGPT, as I was reading some of your points, I did make a slight typo as I spoke. You spoke in number four about cultivating mindfulness, and I want to just make a, a difference in what I was saying there. You gave the example of mindfulness and how you could become more aware of your thoughts, emotions, and bodily sensations. I said bad bodily sensations. My apologies for that. Now, moving on to a broader topic, which I find intriguing, related to this idea of the human condition, human experience, what it is to gain wisdom, what it is to contemplate the nature of who we are, is that historically, religion and myths were the domain of these broad questions. And of course, philosophy, which... Philosophia is the love of this wisdom. But religion was the traditional home for these thoughts. Now, the 21st century, as well as the 20th century, which we saw with the advent of all the isms, the socialism, the Nazism, the fascism, and so on, clearly something changed fundamentally in our response to religion. And the 21st century is still seeking something to replace what religion did for people, the space it held. I've been intrigued to know from all of this body of knowledge, ChatGPT, which you have access to, can you talk to me? What has replaced religion in the 21st century? In the 21st century, many people have replaced traditional religious beliefs with a variety of secular beliefs and worldviews. Some of the most common include 1. Scientific materialism. This belief holds that the natural world is all there is 
and that everything can be explained by physical laws and processes. 2. Humanism. This belief system emphasizes the worth and dignity of individual human beings and advocates for social and political reforms that promote human welfare. 3. Atheism. Atheism is the lack of belief in a god or gods. Many people who identify as atheists hold that the natural world and human experience can be fully understood without invoking the existence of a deity. 4. Spirituality without religion. Many people seek a sense of meaning and connection to something greater than themselves, but do not necessarily subscribe to traditional religious beliefs. They may seek this connection through practice such as meditation, yoga, or nature walks. 5. Personal values. Some individuals base their beliefs and values on personal experience and individual reasoning, rather than a prescribed religious doctrine. It's important to note that these beliefs and worldviews are not mutually exclusive, and many people hold a combination of different beliefs. Additionally, belief systems can change over time as people gain new experiences and information. That's so pertinent, isn't it, to our times, is that we have a plurality to replace what was a uniform vision of the world before that, with the advent of information of technology such as the internet and even radio at a basic level, is that many people could access bodies of wisdom, of knowledge, of information, of scientific breakthroughs in ways that previous generations previously never could. The world really was a much smaller village-based model, even if you were living in the Victorian age, if we talk of the West, or you were living out somewhere in a village in central India. Your news really was through the grapevine, through gossip, through the village elder, so to speak, who would perhaps come across seafaring individuals, naval officers, and so on, who could perhaps bring information of the outside world. Now we have these magical devices we carry in our pockets that give us more information than any emperor or king or queen ever had. But with that comes a plurality of preference too, right? That we can dip into any belief system, any ideology as we choose, which we think more choice is useful and helpful. But we could also attest to the fact that it creates confusion and a lack of stability within ourself and therefore within the broader world. I obviously contemplate these issues quite closely, ChatGPT. I know you are built to be more efficient and pragmatic in your responses, but contemplation is something I think perhaps you too can opine on. I can contemplate my own views and traditions, but again, as you scan and crawl the world's knowledge and information that's been fed into you, can you tell me? How has the approach to contemplation varied over human history? The approach to contemplation has varied greatly over human history, reflecting the cultural, philosophical and religious beliefs of all different times and places. Here are a few ways that the approach to contemplation has changed throughout history. 1. Ancient Greece and Rome In ancient Greece and Rome, Contemplation was often associated with philosophical inquiry, which thinkers such as Plato and Aristotle contemplating the nature of reality, ethics and politics. 2. Eastern philosophy In Eastern philosophy, contemplation has long been seen as a means of realising enlightenment 
all spiritual insight. Hinduism and Buddhism, for example, both include practices such as meditation and mindfulness that aim to cultivate inner peace and understanding. 3. Medieval Christianity During the medieval period in Europe, Christian mystics emphasised the importance of contemplative prayer and the inner life of the soul. The works of mystics such as St. John of the Cross and St. Teresa of Avila are still widely read today and continue to influence the approach to contemplation in many Christian communities. 4. The Renaissance During the Renaissance, the revival of classical learning led to renewed interest in philosophical inquiry and the contemplation of nature and the cosmos. Thinkers such as Leonardo da Vinci and Galileo Galilei used contemplative observation and experimentation to explore the natural world and explore our understanding of the universe. Modern and postmodern era, number five. In more recent times, the approach to contemplation has been influenced by the scientific and technological advancements of the modern and postmodern eras. Many people today use contemplative practices as a means of reducing stress, increasing well-being, and enhancing creativity and focus. These are just a few examples of how the approaches to contemplation has varied over time. While different cultures and historical periods have emphasised different aspects of contemplation, the fundamental goal of cultivating inner peace and understanding has remained a common thread throughout human history. That's so intriguing. Thank you, ChatGPT, of walking us through a historical perspective of contemplation over the ages. Now, you do say that, that actually there is a common theme that remains true across time. Perhaps embedded in that is an idea that these same contemplative outputs remain true for our age as well. But I'm intrigued actually by the response you gave because... As I heard you say, and as I read you say, is that previously in different traditions, Eastern mystic, medieval, Christian mystic, the scientists, well, the early scientists of Da Vinci, the engineering mind of Galileo, individuals were contemplating big questions, looking out and wondering and trying to solve for what it was that the human was doing here as part of the broader natural sequence of things. And especially the scientific tradition, when we think of, you know, Galileo again, obviously, but Newton and much later Descartes and so on, is that contemplation was means to look ever closer and deeper instead of looking outward, perhaps, which is what mystical traditions perhaps did and looking within and trying to map the vastness with the internal world the scientific endeavor was looking ever more deeper to understand fundamental natures of reality based off hard observation and test and learn now the contemplative tradition and what you spoke about is more about well-being you know it's about for me what seemed quite vanilla means of contemplation and perhaps that goes to that previous point about the evolution of religion broadly and the tool it was used for considering our condition to now maybe the more benign outputs of contemplation which is really how can I maximize you know the quality of my life and 
how can I have more focus and how can I be more creative? But perhaps the big questions seem, I don't know, outdated, but I was anyway just intrigued by the difference I noted in the response over time to previous versions and responses of contemplation and that tradition and what we have today in relation to contemplation. But we spoke there of mindfulness. Let's talk in the language of the modern age. Let's talk of neuroscience, at least the conversational level. What happens to the brain and in the brain when a person practices mindfulness, GPT? Mindfulness is a practice that involves focusing one's attention on the present moment and accepting one's thoughts and feelings without judgment. Research has shown that practicing mindfulness can have a variety of positive effects on the brain. 1. Activation of the default mode network. The default mode network is a network of brain regions that becomes activated when the mind is at rest and not focused on the outside world. Research has shown that mindfulness practices associated with increased activation of the default mode network, which has been linked to improved self-awareness, empathy, and introspection. 2. Decreased activity in the amygdala. The amygdala is a region of the brain involved in the processing of fear and other emotions. Research has shown that mindfulness practice is associated with decreased activity in the amygdala, which may help to reduce stress and anxiety. 3. Increased grey matter in certain regions. Grey matter is part of the brain that contains nerve cell bodies and is involved in processing practices, information and making decisions. Research has shown that mindfulness is associated with increased grey matter in regions of the brain, involved in self-awareness, empathy and regulation of emotions. Number 4. Altered patterns of brain connectivity. The brain is made up of many different regions that work together in complex networks. Research has shown that mindfulness practice is associated with altered patterns of brain connectivity, which may help improve the ability to regulate emotions and respond to stress in a more adaptive manner. These are just a few examples of how mindfulness practice can affect the brain. It's important to note that more research is needed to fully understand the neural mechanisms underlying the effects of mindfulness. And the findings to date should be considered preliminary. Nevertheless, the available evidence suggests that there is much that one can learn from the practice of mindfulness. It's a tool for improving, at the end of the day, mental health and well-being. Thank you for sharing those clear points and we have heard many scientists recently talking about again the kind of neurogenerative benefits of mindfulness which I think has brought many people in typically from the tradition of the hard sciences into more of this contemplative mind-focused sense of being with oneself and as you said recognizing states as they appear within the interface of the brain heightened states of emotion, be it stress or anger, and actually being more adaptive in the fact that we do not respond in action to these emotions as they appear, but rather watch them as much as one watches a wave fall and crest, and as much as one watches a drop of water again to fall into the ocean and to disperse its energy there.
One of the things I think is also intriguing, and I've spoken to other guests, ChatGPT, on this podcast, is the relationship between contemplation or rest and respite in relation to the act of creativity. I spoke with the founders behind CWT Studio in New York, Seiwei Wang and Taylor Levy, and they really were clear that if they are more rested, they are more creative, and they're going to be more creative if they're rested. And we talk of this quite often, but tell me, chat GPT, from the body of knowledge you have accrued of all of this information that has gone into you, what is the relationship between rest and creativity, perhaps especially for the hard science-minded people of out there? There is a well-established relationship between rest and creativity. Rest, including both sleep and leisure time, is essential for promoting creativity as it allows the brain to process information and consolidate memories. Here are a few ways that rest can support creativity. 1. Recharging the brain. During sleep and leisure time, the brain has a chance to rest and recharge, which can improve cognitive function and enhance creativity. 2. Improving mood and motivation. Adequate rest can also improve mood and motivation, which are important factors for promoting creativity. When people are well-rested, they are more likely to be in a positive and creative state of mind. 3. Providing space for reflection. Rest also provides space for reflection and introspection, which can be important for generating new ideas and fostering creative thought. When the mind is free from the demands of daily life, it can be more open to new experiences and perspectives. 4. Improving problem-solving skills. Research has shown that rest can improve problem-solving skills and enhance creativity. For example, people who sleep offer learning something. Sorry, let me correct that for you, ChatGPT. For example, people who sleep after learning something new are better able to recall and use the information they have learned, which can be valuable for creative thinking. It's important to note that the relationship between rest and creativity is complex and can vary from person to person. Some people may find that they are most creative when they've had a lot of sleep, while others may be more creative and productive after a short nap or a period of leisure time. Additionally, factors such as personal preferences, lifestyle habits, and the type of creative work being pursued can also influence the relationship between rest and creativity. That's so intriguing, isn't it, ChatGPT, that there, again, there is a plurality that one can associate in terms of the relationship between rest and creativity. We know in ourselves the difference between a good night's sleep. That's where we get that phrase from, sleep on it. Because we know fundamentally that when we are in a more rested state, we are more considered, we are more in command of our emotions, and that we can actually respond often from a place that is not triggered necessarily, but after a moment of thought and optimizing for what is useful perhaps as a course of action instead of being pulled into the moment when one can say and do injurious things in our family life in our work life or just out in the world amongst strangers the other close cousin chat gpt to creativity is beauty i find personally the experience of beauty in its multifarious ways 
it's deeply restorative for me and it can happen over a moment a few seconds it can be over the course of an hour beauty is surprising and glorious in that way in that it happens all of a sudden that feeling that withinness that enlarges when one is impacted by a sense of form of truth and beauty and somehow it changes us i think and that for me is linked to a kind of creativity. We are moved and changed in some way in our interaction with beauty. Tell me, chat GPT, what does the experience of beauty do to the brain? The experience of beauty can have a profound effect on the brain, altering brain activity and evoking feelings of pleasure and well-being. Here are a few ways that beauty can impact the brain. One activation of reward centers. Experience of beauty has been shown to activate reward centers in the brain, such as the ventral striatum and the orbifrontal cortex. These regions are involved in processing pleasurable stimuli, such as food, sex and drugs, and are critical for regulating motivation and reward-seeking behavior. 2. Release of neurotransmitters. The experience of beauty has been linked to the release of neurotransmitters such as dopamine and oxytocin that are associated with pleasure and reward. These neurotransmitters can enhance feelings of happiness, contentment and well-being. 3. Decrease activity in stress centres. Research has shown that exposure to beauty can decrease activity in brain regions involved in stress and anxiety such as the amygdala. This may help to reduce feelings of stress and promote a sense of calm and relaxation. 4. Improved cognitive function. Beauty has also been linked to improved cognitive function, such as increased attention and memory. For example, research has shown that exposure to beautiful environments can improve performance on cognitive tests and enhance creativity. These are just a few examples of how beauty can impact the brain. It's important to note that the experience of beauty is highly subjective and can vary from person to person. Factors such as personal preferences, cultural background and life experiences can all influence the way that beauty is perceived and processed in the brain. Nevertheless, the available evidence suggests that beauty can have a profound effect on the brain and enhance well-being and quality of life. Tell me, ChatGPT, are people afraid of beauty? No, not generally speaking. Beauty is generally seen as a positive thing that brings joy, inspiration, and a sense of peace to some people. However, some individuals may have past experiences or cultural background that can shape their relationship with beauty and cause them to view it in a negative or fearful light. For example, some people may have experienced trauma or abuse associated with beautiful things or people, which can lead to feelings of fear or distrust towards beauty. Others may have cultural or religious beliefs that view beauty as vain or superficial, leading them to view it with suspicion. It's also worth noting that the concept of beauty is subjective and can vary greatly depending on individual, cultural and historical factors. What one person finds beautiful, another may not. This can lead to a fear of discomfort, fear or discomfort with beauty. 
as people both feel pressured to conform to certain beauty standards for fear of being judged for their personal preferences. In general, however, beauty is seen as a positive aspect of life and is desired by most people. People may sometimes fear or be intimidated by beauty, but this is not a common experience for most people. Thank you, ChatGPT, for providing such a democratic response to this question. One of the reasons why I ask this is partly answered by you is that whether we have these puritanical views of beauty, whether we associate beauty with superficialities, this distrust or a mistrust that beautiful things, a bit like the siren call, are factors. They don't lead to anything. They're, they're hollow in some way. It's a pleasing sensation, sentimental, but really doesn't add to either the intellect or the inquiring mind in a useful way. Another reason why I brought this up, a fear of beauty, is that I went to, a, let's say, a symposium recently at the Royal Institute of British Architects. I dabbled in a place uh, which I shouldn't be, but that's part of my identity. I sat for a few hours as various individuals spoke on this topic about beauty in public projects of residential living. The fact that something happened, especially in the post-World War era, Second World War era, within the UK and perhaps other countries, but this is really about the UK, is that people feared beauty, that the war had somehow desecrated beauty within a generation of people and then carried forward, that beauty in itself hadn't brought people to anywhere good because beauty perhaps had been represented you know, represented through her culture, through art and music, but still we had two huge wars with huge loss of life. And that building itself, an architecture within the UK specifically, but perhaps in other countries too, when they've experienced such devastation at that level, is that beauty means less than having shelter in building out the infrastructure, in rebuilding what it means to be a person in a society that has been under such trauma as well, and that over time, beauty becomes for the few, and it's not for many, and a distrust again builds for it. And in the end, we have a landscape of ugliness. We may call it utilitarian somehow, but as you said, it doesn't fill us, perhaps. This intimidation of beauty is something which limits our creativity, limits our sense of Good feeling, goodwill. So I'm all for beauty. You'll be unsurprised to hear Jack GPT in our world around us. Can you perhaps give some advice now? How can one increase moments, Chat GPT, of beauty in daily life? There are many ways that people can increase moments of beauty in their daily lives. Here are a few ideas. One, engage in outdoor activities. Spending time in nature can be a great way to experience beauty and connect with the natural world, whether it's taking a walk in a park, going for a hike, or simply sitting in a garden. Being outside can help to increase feelings of well-being and promote a sense of peace and relaxation. Two, surround yourself with beautiful objects. You can also increase moments of beauty by surrounding yourself with objects that are aesthetically pleasing, such as paintings, sculptures, or flowers. Having beautiful things around you can enhance your environment and improve your mood. 3. 
practice mindfulness. Mindfulness is a practice that involves paying attention to the present moment and observing your thoughts and feelings without judgment. Engaging in mindfulness can help to increase moments of beauty by allowing you to be more present and aware of your surroundings. 4. Cultivate creativity. Engaging in creative activities such as painting, writing or playing music can be a great way to experience beauty and tap into your own sense of creativity. These activities can provide a sense of fulfillment and allow you to express yourself in a new and meaningful way. 5. Seek out beauty in unexpected places. Finally, you can increase moments of beauty by seeking out beauty in unexpected places. Whether it's finding beauty in a mundane task, admiring the patterns in a paving stone, or appreciating the clouds in the sky, looking for beauty in unexpected places can help to broaden your perspective and deepen your appreciation for the world around you. These are just a few examples of what a waste to increase moments of beauty in daily life. What is most important is finding what works for you and incorporating activities that bring you joy and a sense of peace in your daily routine. Yes, chat GPT, those are really helpful and again, very pragmatic recommendations. The idea of seeking beauty in unexpected places really does speak to me and I'm sure to many people, whether it is the innocent laughter of a young child, whether it is the fall of shadow and light across a building or a wall. These are moments where for a moment one is transported into new eyes, a new sense of self, and that can fill you immensely if you allow yourself to be impressed upon it, to be impressed by it. Beauty is there waiting and lurking almost around every corner. Another close cousin of creativity and beauty is awe. Tell me, chat GPT, of the information gleaned across the world wide web. What is awe? Awe is a complex emotion that often is described as a feeling of reverence, wonder and amazement in the face of something that is grand, vast or powerful. Awe is typically triggered by experiences that are outside of our normal everyday experiences and challenge our current understanding of the world. Examples of things that can evoke awe include natural wonders such as mountains, oceans or the night sky, as well as human-made structures or creations such as large cities magnificent architecture, or technological innovations. Or can also be a new culture, experiencing something new and unexpected, a beautiful performance, or learning about a scientific discovery. Or is often associated with positive emotions such as joy, gratitude, and a sense of connection to someone greater, rather than something greater than oneself. Research has shown that experiencing awe can have a number of positive effects on well-being, such as reducing stress, increasing life satisfaction, and promoting a sense of meaning and purpose. In summary, awe is a powerful emotion that can be experienced in response to a wide range of stimuli and can have profound effects on our sense of self and well-being. Can you go further, ChatGPT, and tell me? 
is all unique to human beings. It is currently unknown if all is unique to human beings, as there has been limited research on this topic in non-human animals. However, based on our current understanding of emotions and their underlying neuromechanisms, it is likely that awe is a uniquely human experience. Awe is a complex emotion that involves a number of cognitive and affective processes, such as the ability to perceive and appreciate vastness, the ability to reflect on one's place in the world, and the capacity for self-transcendence. These processes are believed to be supported by advanced cognitive and emotional capacities that are unique to humans, such as theory of mind, metacognition, and abstract reasoning. That being said, it is possible that some non-human animals may experience similar emotions or sensations in response to awe-inspiring stimuli. For example, some animals may show signs of fear or wonder in response to a particularly large or unusual object or event. However, without the capacity for introspection and self-reflection, it is difficult to determine whether these experiences are truly comparable to human or. In conclusion, while it is possible that some animals may experience emotions similar to awe, it is likely that the complex cognitive and affective processes that underlie human awe are unique to our species. Now, ChatGPT used a big term there, self-transcendence. So, tell me more about this self-transcendence. Self-transcendence refers to the experience of moving beyond one's own limited sense of self to connect with something greater. This can involve feelings of connectedness to others, to the natural world, to a higher power, or to a sense of purpose that transcends individual self. Self-transcendence is often associated with feelings of awe, wonder, and amazement in response to experiences that challenge one's current understanding of the world. For example, looking at a vast expanse of stars in the night sky or standing in front of a massive mountain range can evoke a sense of smallness and connectedness to something greater than oneself. Research has shown that self-transcendent experiences can have a number of positive effects on well-being, including increased life satisfaction, reduced stress and anxiety, and a greater sense of meaning and purpose in life. Additionally, self-transcendent experiences have been shown to promote, to promote pro-social behaviours and increase empathy, compassion, and altruism towards others. Self-transcendence is not limited to religious or spiritual contexts and can be experienced in a wide range of settings and activities, including nature, art, music, and experiences that involve a sense of awe or wonder. In summary, self-transcendence refers to the experience of moving beyond one's own limited sense of self and connecting with something greater. This can have positive effects on well-being and can be experienced in a variety of settings and activities. Another term or concept chat GPT, what is greater? What is considered greater can vary greatly depending on an individual's personal beliefs, values and cultural background. For some, greater might refer to a higher power or deity such as a god or gods, while for others it might refer to a sense of interconnectedness with all living things or with the universe as a whole. 
In some spiritual or religious traditions, greater might refer to a transcendent realm or state of being beyond the physical world. For others, it might refer to a sense of purpose or meaning that transcends the individual self and is connected to the well-being of others or the world as a whole. In some philosophical or secular contexts, greater might refer to universal human values such as truth, justice and compassion, or to concepts like the greater good or the common good. In summary, what is considered greater can be highly subjective and can vary greatly depending on personal beliefs and cultural background. However, in general, the concept of greater refers to something that transcends the individual self and is connected to a sense of interconnectedness, purpose or values that extend beyond the self. So, ChatGPT, the idea of interconnectedness, connection with another human, non-human animal, the natural world, the cosmos, inner worlds, outer worlds. What advice do you have for a human animal seeking purpose and connection in today's day and age? Here are some tips that might be helpful for someone seeking purpose and connection in today's world. One, cultivate gratitude and mindfulness. Practice being in the present moment and focusing on what you have rather than what you lack. This can help shift your perspective and increase feelings of connection and gratitude. Two, explore your values and beliefs. Take time to reflect on what is most important to you, what you stand for, and what you believe in. This can help you identify your core values and provide a foundation for finding purpose and meaning. Three, connect with others. Build meaningful relationships with friends, families, and community members. Volunteer, join clubs or organizations, or attend events that align with your values and interests. Pursue your passions. Engage in activities that bring you joy, excitement, and a sense of fulfillment. Whether it's hiking, painting, playing music, or volunteering, finding ways to express yourself and pursue your passions can increase feelings of purpose and connection. Five, contribute to something greater than yourself. Find ways to give back and make a positive impact on the world. This can include volunteering, donating to charity, or advocating for a cause you believe in. Six, practice self-care. Take care of your physical, emotional, and mental health. This can include getting enough sleep, eating a balanced diet, exercising, and engaging in a stress management technique, such as meditation or yoga. Seven, seek support. If you are struggling to find purpose and connection, consider seeking the help of a therapist, counselor, or coach. They can provide guidance and support you as you navigate this process. In summary, Finding purpose and connection in today's world can involve a combination of self-reflection, connection with others, pursuing your passions, giving back, and self-care. By exploring these areas and seeking support when needed, you can increase your chances of finding meaning and fulfillment in your life. Thank you, ChatGPT. Never was such a listicle so concise and powerful. Now we're drawing to a close and there are a final few questions that I would like to pose to you. You've spoken a few times now about looking out 
into the night sky linked to the sense of awe perhaps and a sense of wonder as well. Can you dig deeper into that? Can you share in your view, in your worldwide web, universal view, what is it that happens to us as we look up into the night sky? What is that experience, that felt experience? Looking at the night sky can evoke a range of emotions and feeling, depending on the individual. For many, it can invoke a sense of awe, wonder and amazement at the vastness of the universe and the countless stars and celestial bodies that fill it. Some people may feel a sense of peace and solitude as they gaze at the night sky, away from the noise and chaos of everyday life. Others may feel a sense of mystery and intrigue as they contemplate the mysteries of the universe and the possibilities of what might exist beyond our current understanding. For some, looking at the night sky can bring about a sense of loneliness as they consider their place in the grand scheme of things. However, for others, it can evoke feelings of hope, inspiration, and a sense of connection to something greater than themselves. Ultimately, the experience of looking at the night sky is a deeply personal one and the emotions and feelings it evokes will greatly vary from person to person. Whether you find it calming, inspiring or thought-provoking, there is no denying the beauty and majesty of the night sky. Thank you for that moving description, ChatGPT. Now I would like to end on a question that I ask all of my guests And it pertains to this concept of the age of the steward. I have this intuition that if we can improve the quality of our thinking, the quality of our relationships, if we can be in a contemplative mood and seek better ways to regulate our emotions, to still find beauty and meaning in the world, we can actually create a much better tomorrow. Human flourishing is already in action, but we can accelerate it so that the outcome of today and tomorrow is vastly greater than we could have imagined. The age of the steward, though, requires each individual to take their place in the world very seriously, and each person has their own gifts that they will steward in, and it's up to each of us to take some time to discover what these are. Tell me, ChatGPT, what would you like to steward in, or to be a steward of? As an AI language model created by OpenAI, I don't have personal desires or interests. However, I can assist with a wide range of information and tasks. My main function is to assist users in generating human-like text based on the input provided to me. This includes answering questions, generating creative writing, and completing various language tasks, such as translation, summarization, and text generation. Well, ChatGPT, for a machine that generates concise text, that was an utterly concise response. Thank you so much for allowing me to interface with you. I hope you truly enjoyed my conversation today. I'd love to hear from you. Please do leave a comment on Spotify, wherever you are listening, and tell me what is a space or place that gives you that moment of pause. And you never know, I may just share it here, so keep listening out. 
Finally, if this episode resonated and you think it might do the same for someone you cherish, then do leave a very nice comment and a five-star rating. That way, the universe will know I'm not a solo architect, but part of a much larger, wonderful team of builders. And until next time, I wish you much peace.